Praise the Lord. Let's just take a moment to thank God for this time and what he's going to do in us. Father, thank you, Lord. Father, just as we heard that promise a few minutes back, we know, Lord, that sometimes you chasten us. Sometimes you correct us. And Father God, we know, Lord, that when you do it, it is because you love us. And Father God, today, even as we stand here, sit in this congregation, listening to that which you have to say to us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we will all be receptive to your word, Lord. That as you speak, and as your word goes deep within us, Lord, it will have an impact that only you can make, Lord. Father, we pray, Lord, that this is the time that we surrender ourselves unto your hands, Lord. You will make us and mold us into the kinds of people that you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, before I get to the Word of God, uh, I just need to tell you that uh, when I got this message, let me tell you the etymology or the origin of today's message. Uh, I knew a month back that I would have to share today. And so for the last two to two and a half weeks, I've been preparing a message. Uh, and yesterday I was quite comfortable because I knew that I just needed to tweak it up here and there, add a few things, and the message was ready. And it's there. Uh, but there was one thing I wanted to do which I forgot. And that is, I wanted to choose a hymn. In fact, I chose the hymn which I then needed to communicate to our praise and worship team, and I forgot about that. Uh, and suddenly, day before yesterday evening, I realized that I had not given the song to the praise and worship team. I said, okay, it doesn't matter. Uh, we can do without that song. It's okay. Then yesterday morning, as I was having my breakfast, just before rushing off to work, uh, it just happened to be that my phone was on the same table. It was switched off. I mean, it was, uh, uh, well, it was dark, okay? And suddenly the screen lit up. Uh, and as far as I know, as far as my phone is concerned, there are only three reasons why it lights up. One, I'm getting a call. Two, there is an SMS message that's uh, coming in. Or three, there is a an email that is dropped into my email uh, box, and I'm just getting a notification that that has come in. So I just uh, swiped the screen and uh, put in my password, and the screen opened. And lo and behold, there was no call, there was no SMS message, there was no email that I could recognize, but the whole screen was filled with a passage of scripture. Uh, and that's the passage that we're going to read. Now, when I looked at that passage, I said, why that passage? Because yes, I do have a, a version of the Bible uh, on my phone, and any time I tap that app, it will open, but it always opens to Genesis chapter one. It's a default opening to Genesis chapter one. By chance, if I have reset it, it will then open to Matthew chapter one. It doesn't open anywhere else. But what I had was neither Genesis 1 nor Matthew 1. And I had not touched that phone when this particular thing pops up. And I have not read those verses for ages. So I had no clue, but I read it, you know, wondering what's happening to my phone, which is the new bad rabbit virus that has entered into my phone. Okay. And as I was reading it, believe me, themes started popping out from there. It was just six verses long. Themes started popping out. And I knew that is the message that I'm going to share today. So yesterday evening, I sat at home, and I tried to write out the message. 
and I simply couldn't. I just couldn't. Now, by practice, by my normal practice, I always like to have a little um, anecdote or something that I start with. And I was trying to think of an anecdote or search out an anecdote or remember uh, any anecdote that I've got which I've not used uh, repeatedly. Uh, I couldn't get anything. And then at about 10 o'clock in the night, I was so tired, I just told my wife, I'm going to sleep, I'll get up in the morning. I haven't written a word of the message. I had the title, and that was all that I had. So I got up this morning at uh, 6 o'clock, and I started writing. And it went through in one straight stretch. Okay, and so that's what, we are going to, that's what I'm going to be mentioning to you right now. Somehow, my, when I write on my, uh, on my computer, or when I type in my words, I usually end up with four A4 size pages. That's my limit for a 45-minute uh, message. Uh, today's uh, today's write-up came up to seven A4 size pages. Okay, so if we have to keep the next service out, Ushers, be ready to lock the doors. Okay, I'm not letting anybody go. Okay, we are going to be here. So, let's open our Bibles to the book of Zechariah. It's the second last book in the Old Testament. Go to Matthew and walk backwards. You have Malachi and the book before Malachi is Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. And I want you to open your Bibles in whichever version you have it, paper form, electronic, or whatever. And if you, if you see your neighbor does not have a Bible, please share your Bible with that person. Okay, you will not be getting the verses on the screen today, so we are going to be focusing with the Word of God in front of us. Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying, The Lord has been very, very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets preached, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not hear nor heed me, says the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? Yet surely my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they, the people, returned and said, Just as the Lord of hosts determined to do to us, according to our ways, and according to our deeds, so he has dealt with us. Now, I don't know if this message is for one person, somebody in this congregation, or whether it's for me, or whether it's for a number of people, or whether it's for all of us. That is for the Lord to decide. All I know is, I have to share it this, this afternoon. So here we go. Now, before we get into the gist of this passage itself, allow me to take you through a brief lesson in history. In 606 BC, the Babylonians began their conquest of Jerusalem, deporting many of the people and finally destroying the city and the temple in 586 BC. In 538 BC, that is approximately 70 years after the Jews had been taken into captivity by the Babylonians, King Cyrus, a non-Jewish pagan king, issued a proclamation allowing the Jews to return to their land and rebuild their temple. Now this is taken from Ezra chapter 1. 42,360 Jews returned, and this is recorded in Ezra chapter 2. In addition, they had 7,337 servants and 200 singers. They also had 736 horses, 
245 mules, 435 camels, 6,720 donkeys. And as I read this, I was blown away. We generally think that history is one boring, vague subject. History cannot be more precise than this. You've got dates, you've got numbers. It's not even about. It is exact numbers. How many horses? How many mules? How many donkeys? How many people? The numbers are specific in the Word of God. So sometimes history can actually be absolutely precise and interesting. Now, as you continue reading the book of Ezra, you will read that the people gave 61,000 gold drachmas, 5,000 minas of silver, and 100 priestly garments. And then the people started building the temple in the year 536. 538 is where they started it. 536, they started construction, uh, and that is in Ezra chapter three. Now this went on for a few years, but the pace of work slowed down. The zeal with which the people started working on the temple was no longer there. And if you continue through the book of Ezra, and also continue into the book of Nehemiah, you will recognize. That as soon as the people of God started doing God's work, the devil also started doing his work. As long as the people of God were quiet, just minding their own business, the devil was also quiet. But the minute the people of God started doing what God wanted them to do. That was a trigger point for the devil to also start doing what he wanted to do. And what is it that he wanted to do? It was to disturb the work of the people of God. Discouraging words were used. Court cases were foisted on the people. Laws were raised up against the work, and the heathen even became violent and attacked the people of God and the godly work that they were now doing, and that is building the temple. The focus of the people at this point changed. You see, they were getting trapped up with all of these attacks on them. That their focus changed. They got involved in local politics. They started building their own little kingdoms. Now, instead of doing God's work and building the temple of God, the people of God started doing their own stuff. And building their own houses, and the devil probably helped them and goaded them to do their own stuff. But the Bible records that the work of God suffered; the building of the temple suffered. And so, 16 years later, in 520 BC, the word of the Lord came to Prophet Haggai. Now, this is recorded in Haggai chapter one. Again, the Bible is very precise in telling us that this happened on the first day of the sixth month of the second year of King Darius' reign. And the warning that came to the people through Haggai was this: Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Twenty-three days after that warning. On the twenty-fourth day of the sixth month, the work of rebuilding the temple resumed. We know that the devil does not tolerate anyone doing God's work. It doesn't matter where it is, at what time it is, and so we would understand that the discouragement would have again restarted. The cases would have come back. The people of that land would have become violent on the people of God. Okay, that all those things would have happened. Now, at this point, it was at this point, about two months after the warning of Haggai, consider your ways. Okay, from the first day of the sixth month and the second year of King Darius, it was two months after this warning, about six weeks after the resumption of the temple, that God raised another prophet, and that prophet is Zechariah. Bible historians suggest 
that he was actually a young man, probably in his 20s, when the word of the Lord came to him. He was a man most likely to have been born during the captivity period, and he was a young man when God spoke to him, and then he had a word to the people. And so this is what we read at the start of this message, Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. I'll come back to that in a moment. But just to conclude the history lesson, it took another five years before the temple was completed, 515 BC. This is recorded in Ezra chapter 6, verse 15, where it is written, Now the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Very precise dates. Okay, you could go back into secular history and see that these are actually fitting correctly. Because there is enough evidence in secular history, historians will know that, that if they go back to these old books, whatever man manuscripts are available, even these stone tablets, whatever is there, all of these things actually took place. Okay, so there is no contest on this. These are events that have actually taken place. My final thing, for those few historians like me in this congregation, one more nugget of information. It took another 70 years for Nehemiah to then come and organize the construction of the walls of Jerusalem. So there's a 70-year period in the beginning, there's a 70-year period before from the construction of the temple to the start of the construction of the walls. And we know that 70 years is the time given to man. The Bible tells us that the life of man is three score and ten, which is 70 years. And historians now say that a generation is equal to 70 years. So when we talk of one generation to the next generation, we are talking about 70-year periods. Okay, so 70 is an important figure. And then we go back to Daniel, and you have another 70 weeks. So 70 is a pretty important number in terms of Old Testament prophecy for, or Old Testament events the, uh, which have an impact into the, into the future. So now let's go back to Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. And I'm going to read it again. Okay, and I'm going to read it from the New King James Version. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying, The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets preached, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not hear nor heed me, says the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? Yet surely my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they, the people, returned and said, Just as the Lord of hosts determined to do to us, according to our ways and according to our deeds, so he has dealt with us. Straight away, six verses, there are six themes that hit us. And we're going to be looking at these six themes in the time that we have. Number one, verse one. God chooses specific people for specific tasks. Why did God have to pick a new prophet in Zechariah? Wasn't Ezra already there? Wasn't Haggai already there? Hadn't Haggai just issued a warning which actually uh, restarted the, the temple building work? So what was the need for a new prophet? Zechariah. But then God has his ways. You see, Haggai's task was to mobilize the people to rebuild the physical temple. That was what they were doing, and that's what Haggai wanted the people to do. Build the temple. Consider your ways. 
God said, my, my house lay in ruins while you are all busy, busy building your own houses. Okay, so Haggai was given the task of actually getting the people to restart the construction work of the actual physical temple. And that was going to be a place where people could gather and they could worship God. Now, Zechariah's task was more personal. It was for the people to look at their own lives, to see how far they had moved away from God. In other words, Zechariah was tasked with rebuilding the spiritual state of the people. He was not so harsh in his words as Haggai. If you go back to Haggai, this is just the previous book. If you go back to Haggai and read chapter 1, you will say, see that in two places, verse 5 and verse 7 of chapter 1, Haggai says, consider your ways. And then in between that he says, you have pockets which have holes in them, you work and there's nothing left, you, you, you earn so much and there's nothing left for you. It's pretty harsh words, telling you that you're basically doing nothing. Okay, but Zechariah was not like that. He was more, he was not so blunt. He was more polished in his approach to people. His words were probably easier to digest. And his focus, his target was different. He was tasked with building a person individually. The spiritual state of the person. Maybe that's what we need now. We have these buildings. Maybe it's time not to look at these buildings anymore. Maybe it's time to apply Zechariah's statement into our lives. That we need to start looking at our spiritual state. Okay, maybe our physical temple is pretty good. But is our spiritual temple good? Zechariah asked that question. He was an encourager, speaking gently, yet bringing the truth of God to the people of God. Today we have two warnings that we need to listen to. Number one is consider your ways. And number two is return to the Lord. I said these are not the words that I put together today. This is not something that I've worked on over the last two weeks. This is what I got today. So I know it is for somebody. It might be me. So listen carefully. One of the major failings of the people of God, whether 2,500 years back in the time of King Darius or now, right now within this congregation, is our failure to obey God. Our failure to walk holy, righteous lives. That's what God's been telling us. He's been asking us to obey Him. He's been telling us that we need to be holy and righteous. But we need to ask our quest, that question to ourselves. Because this is Zechariah's question to every individual person. Where do I stand? Spiritually, am I obedient to the word of God? Am I obedient to the instructions of God? Am I living a holy life seven days a week? Now, I know all of us live holy lives on Fridays. But there are still six other days of the week. Are we living righteous lives? That's what God wants his people to be. If each of us can be brutally frank and honest with ourselves, we will see that we have all fallen short of the commands of God and we continue to fall short. Are your thoughts whole, holy and pure all the time? God is not interested in you having holy thoughts and pure thoughts some of the time. And the rest of the time it's pure rubbish. God's not interested in that. Not at all. 
are your thoughts pure and holy all the time? Do we look for juicy bits of gossip to chew up and then even meditate on that? Are we truthful all of the time? The key here is all of the time. Are we truthful all the time? Do lies or alternate facts, currently acceptable terminology, alternate facts, do they trip off our tongue so easily at regular intervals? And we justify it in different ways. I've heard these justifications. Especially nowadays, when we have our cell studies, I hear the cell leaders tell me that. I go to some cells, I hear the same story. They tell me, Pastor, is it possible to really do this? If that's what the Word of God says, yes, it is possible. God doesn't give you any instruction that you cannot do. There is no instruction in the Bible that is beyond our capacity. Every instruction that God has put in the Word of God is doable. And therefore, if you tell me, you know, it's my job, that is not possible. No, then you are in the wrong job. You'll have to take that call. This job, how many years is it going to last you? Maybe you started the job at 30, you retire at 60, 30 years. What about eternity? Which is more important, 30 years or eternity? It's better to be a poverty-stricken, truthful person than the richest liar. Are we truthful all of the time? Do we speak gentle, encouraging words? Or do we speak, speak hurtful, spiteful words that are daggers in somebody's heart? And then we justify it by saying that he deserved it. She deserved it. I don't know. Are we mere preachers of the word, but not doers of the same? Remember what Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 7. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. The book is not too far away from Zechariah. Next to Zechariah is Malachi, and next to Malachi is, is Matthew. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me that in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from, from me, you who practice lawlessness. Are we prepared to hear that? Our life on this earth is not eternal. There is a day when we will be standing in front of that throne. Are we prepared to hear this? Do our actions reflect the love of Jesus Christ? What we do? Again, not Fridays. Because we are very good people on Fridays. We are the praise the Lord people on Fridays. I'm talking about the rest of the week. Do our actions reflect the love of Jesus Christ? Turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. And there's a big passage to read here, but we will read it. Verses 31 to 46. Matthew 25, 31 to 46. And I want you to open your Bibles because I want you to see whether it's there in your Bible. I know it's there on the Bible which is there on our system. But is it there in your Bible? If it's there in your Bible, you can continue reading it at home. You don't have an excuse that it's not there. 
So please open your Bibles and look for it. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came, in me, came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you? See you a stranger and took you in, or naked and clothed you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Then the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly I say to you, inasmuch as you did this to one of the least of my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels." For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do this to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal, everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Do our actions reflect the love of Jesus Christ? Consider your ways. Repent and return to the Lord. Otherwise, you have a one-way ticket. I have a one-way ticket to hell. Elon Musk and many other people are preparing spacecrafts which will have one-way ticket to Mars. And many people have registered for that. But if we don't do what the Lord wants us to do, we have booked ourselves a one-way ticket to hell. And there is no return. Number two, verse two. God is angry. The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. It's not, God is not just angry. God is very angry with your fathers. The verse refers to our forefathers and our ancestors. Many of them did not walk right before God. Many of them were idol worshippers. Abraham was a man called by God to serve him. Abraham is called the father of nations. Blessings have come to future generations through Abraham. But do you know that Abraham's father served other gods? Joshua chapter 24 verse 2. Turn to that so you can see for yourself. That you can be a wonderful man of God, a wonderful woman of God, even if your father served idols. Joshua chapter 24, verse 2. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. God has always been warning people about serving other gods. Prophet after prophet has given the same warning. But most people refused to listen to the word of God and instead they chose to do their own stuff. God was angry. Indeed, he was very angry. Again, 
if each of us can just be brutally frank and honest with ourselves, we do not need to look at our fathers or forefathers to see if they served other gods. Let us look at ourselves. Take a moment to list the other gods you serve. I know most of you will say, no, we don't serve any other God. Matthew 6, verse 24. New King James Version. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. New Living Translation puts it this way. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That's a brutally frank statement. You cannot be enslaved to money. Amplified Bible puts it even better. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, and then within brackets, explanation, the amplification. What's mammon? Money, possessions, fame, status, whatever is valued more than the Lord. Now tell me, how many gods do you serve? I ask myself the same question. As I wrote this, every word hit me also. And that's why I said right at the beginning, maybe this message is not for any of you. Maybe it is only for me. Fine, so be it. What gods do you serve? other than the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, the problem is that the devil has clearly deceived and cleverly deceived so many of us into accepting that many things we do are simply necessities of the times. Do we have a Christmas program annually? Yes or no? Yes. yes, we do. When you were a child, were there Christmas programs in the churches where you were? When your parents were children, have they told you that there were Christmas programs? Christmas programs have always been there. When I was a child, we had Christmas programs. My teachers did not have smartphones. They had to do all their planning properly at the regular planning meetings. Now, with smartphones, there are no planning meetings. There are instant messages which keep going. So we want snacks. We get the message 10 o'clock today morning. Who? The ushers. Get the snacks. In the past, the team would have organized two weeks earlier who is to bring the snacks. So actually, all these things that we call necessities without which we cannot live have made us disorganized people. They have not made us organized people. There is nothing new that we are doing in today's world that was not done by our parents and grandparents. And they did it just as well as we are doing it now. Only thing is, we are always in a rush because we have forgotten to plan. And so on the last minute, we start sending messages and say, do this, do this, do this, do this, do that. It's done. So do we need these necessities? Which is really ruining our lives? 
Some of them, maybe they're good. Maybe these are conveniences. These are not necessities. These are conveniences. Don't let the devil tell you that these are necessities. They are not. They are conveniences. But if they are taking away your personal conversation time with God, not personal time with God, personal conversation time with God, because conversation means that you sit with somebody and you talk face to face. You look the person in the eye. You listen to what that person is saying. Personal time with God very often is simply going and reading something without listening to anything that God is saying and then saying, I've done my meditation. I've had my personal time with God. Or we listen to some preacher on the television or the internet or wherever and then we say, I've had my meditation for the day. What I'm asking you is, where is your personal conversation time with God? Where you sit with Him and talk to Him and listen to Him. If conveniences are taking away your personal conversation time with God, then you have got other gods that you are serving. And this is extremely dangerous. Let's be serious. Don't think that this is an older dinosaur speaking. Let's be serious because God is very angry. Are you prepared to risk your future by serving the wrong gods today. Number three, verse three. God has laid out a path for our restoration. God has laid out a path for our restoration. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. He's laid out the path. He's told us what to do. He says, return to me and I will return to you. A pastor once wrote in his article on repentance, and I quote, true repentance has a twofold aspect or purpose. It looks upon the past with a weeping eye. That's the sorrow for our sin. And it looks upon the future with a watchful eye. That is to guard against sin by making sure that we obey God, unquote. The main Hebrew word for repentance is translated as to change directions. The Greek word for repentance is translated as change in thinking and action. In other words, repentance is not about just being sorry. Repentance involves a complete change in direction, attitude, thinking, and action for your future. The devil and sin are diametrically opposite to God and truth. If you are in sin, you are actually facing the devil. And thank you, brother. If you are in sin, you are actually facing the devil and conversing with him. And in that process, your back is towards God. How would you feel if 45 minutes of this message, I turned myself, I turned, faced the cross. That's the altar after all, holy of holies. I faced there and I spoke. You could still hear me because we have this fantastic uh, contraption which uh, amplifies voice. You will still hear me. But you wouldn't like to listen to me because I'm not facing you. Conversation is face to face. Eye contact. We look at each other. And as I talk to you, I get the feedback. You may not be talking to me right now. We don't have that facility in a church service. But I get the feedback. I know whether people are listening. Who's sleeping? You know, I, I get that by looking. So that's conversation. 
So if you are in sin, you are actually conversing with the devil because sin and the devil go together. God is away from sin. God cannot even look upon sin. So if you are in sin, where is God in the picture? It's sin and the devil. And you are conversing with him. That means God is out of the picture. God is behind you. In repentance, return to the Lord. In repentance, you make a 180 degree turn, not 90 degrees, not 360 degrees. You can do the calculation of what 360 degrees is all about. 180 degree turn. You change your direction. You now face God and your conversation is with Him and you don't even see the devil. Because when you repent and you get to God, you are now talking to God and the devil cannot be in the same place as God. The devil is diametrically opposite God. Many of us, many of us need to make that 180 degree turn today. Right now. You see, God and the devil work differently. God lays out your today and your future, and it is for you to choose them. And because it is laid out so transparently, many of us do not choose it. The devil has gift-wrapped your today and camouflaged your tomorrow. And because it looks so beautiful and it looks mysterious, we don't know what's inside, we go for that gift. And what is in that gift-wrapped parcel that the devil offers you? There's only one thing. There is only one thing. There is no mystery in this. It is a one-way ticket to hell. That's what's there inside that gift-wrapped box. And the problem when you get close to the devil and sin is it bites you. It scars you. Every baby that is born has such a beautiful face. To be politically correct, we look at the baby and say, oh, it looks like the father, it looks like the mother, depending on who is in that room. If both the parents are there, you will say, no, I said, the ear looks like the father, the, the nose looks like the mother. See, this is being politically correct. But the simple fact of the matter is every newborn baby is a beautiful baby. It has got blemishless skin. Head to foot. It is so soft. And that is why everybody likes to go and pinch the cheeks of little children. But as we grow older... We get scars. We get all kinds of marks on our face, which we don't see in newborn babies. And that's what the devil does to us. He scars us. He hurts us. But we are now trapped in that gift box. And we can't get away. And the only way for that scar to be taken away is to be allowed to be washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. The Bible tells us that Jesus washes away our sin and makes us white as snow and our skin becomes blemishless. That baby-like skin we get back only when we are in Christ and with Christ and allow Christ to rule, dominate completely our life. God has made the way for us to return to him. There is no other way. Now, are we prepared to accept God, God's formula for restoration? Return to me, says the Lord, and I will return to you. Number four, verse four. Do not return to your evil ways and evil deeds.
we need to recognize that our future home, my future home, is heaven, not hell. I don't want to do anything with hell. And therefore, once I have repented, got myself right with God, let me not do anything that will put me back again. Do not return to your evil ways. There is always that possibility that we can return to our evil ways. But we have to be careful. We have to work at it all the time. Work on your salvation with fear and trembling. You have to work on it. Don't take it for granted. Because like the dog returns to its vomit, the fool to his folly. That's what we read in Proverbs. We have to be careful that we do not return to those evil ways. Hell is not meant for us. Hell is not meant for us. God, is, God told us, Jesus Christ said it. He said, I am going to my father's house to prepare a place for you. Did he say that or not? Did he say that I'm going to prepare for some of you a place in hell and for some of you in heaven? No. Hell is not in the picture at all. Hell was prepared for the devil. I like a statement that uh, the German evangelist uh, Reinhard Bonnke used to make. It was his rallying uh, cry. To hell with the devil. To heaven with the people. That's his cry. Today, let us be wise in our choosing. Let us be wise in our dealings and not return to our evil ways. Number five. This is verses five and six. Only God and his word are eternal, life-giving and life-saving. Haggai said, consider your ways. Zechariah said, return to the Lord. These words are true. They are eternal. The word of God is not a best-selling novel, nor is it an eloquent piece of Shakespearean literature. It is the living word of God meant to change your life and my life. So don't read the word of God as if it was one story. And at the end of the day, oh, there is, that's the end of the story. No, there is an application with every word that you read from the word of God. Apply that in your life because the word of God is meant to change you and me. Nothing else. His words are eternal. They are life-giving and life-saving. Despite all kinds of advances that we have, the Bible remains the best-selling book in the world. The only book which has sold five billion copies is the Bible. And this is not counting the many billions of Bibles that have been printed and distributed free. The second best best-selling book is the little red book, sayings or quotations of Chairman Mao. One billion copies. No other book. How many of you have read that book? Little Red Book by Chairman Mao. You don't even know who Chairman Mao is. That's okay. doesn't matter. It's not important. But if you haven't read the Bible, that's a serious problem. That is a serious problem. All the Harry Potter books together have sold a couple of million copies, not billion, million. Okay, so there's nothing to beat the word of God because people may despise the word of God, but everybody knows one thing. In that word of God is life-changing truth. Do we know it? Do we know it today? 
My last point, number six, verse six. God's people repent and accept the word of God. That's what happened when Zechariah spoke. Verse six. And the people said, according to our ways and according to our deeds, so he has dealt with us. Okay, they returned. One version says they repented. So the truth is that if you listen to the word of God, you will repent and you will change and you will return. As I conclude, let me simply say this. God has warned us of our current way of living. God doesn't like it and he is angry, very angry. God has laid out a path of restoration for us to follow. Once we repent, let us be careful not to return to our past way of living. God is true to his word. He cannot lie. And as we repent, he returns to us. Shall we stand? Take a moment to introspect on our own lives. Now is a moment for you to confess before God any shortcoming that you can recognize. We know that he is coming soon. And with every passing day, that day draws closer. Turn to God. Talk to God. As we have meditated on that word, it's not a word for the church, it's a word for individual. And like I always say, you can deceive every other person. You cannot deceive true people. You can't deceive God, and you can't deceive yourself. So why don't you meditate in your heart what are the things in your life you need to make right with God? Are you in a backsliding state already? Jesus is saying, return back unto me. Are you living a life of disobedience? He's saying you need to come to me in obedience. And more importantly this morning, if you are here, you are not born again. The whole message of Jesus Christ is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You need to give your life to Jesus. If you have still committed sin without check, you need to give your life to Jesus. If you are not sure you will make it to heaven, if Christ should come today, that this message is for you. Every eye is closed. Somebody is here that wants to repent of his or her sins. You are tired of living a life of sin. You fall today. You try to make it. You don't, you don't get there. You want to make it right with God. I want you to place your right hand on your chest. And make it right with God this morning. And confess to him, God, I am sorry. For all my sins. Are you making that commitment unto him? Say, Lord, I am sorry for everything I have done to disobey your word. The way I have disregarded your instruction. Lord, I am sorry. The way I have gone my own path and not your own way, I am sorry. And promise that from today onward, I will submit my life afresh unto you. I will live my life to please you. I will not go in the path of self again, but in the path of you, my Savior. And as you said, I say, Lord, I surrender my life unto you this morning as my Lord and personal Savior. And if you are yet once born again, you are back free. Say, Lord, I am returning back to you today. Please accept me as your son. And I promise never to go back again. 
In Jesus' name we have prayed. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the message. Consider your way and return to God. Father, I pray for every one of us when you shall come. This word will not stand against any one of us in the name of Jesus. Help us to truly return fully unto you. In any way we have gone back from you. Help us to retrace our step back to you and never to look back again in Jesus' name. Your children that have made up their mind to give their life unto you, please help them. Strengthen them. Let them never go back to their sin. From henceforth, let them live their life to please you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And we pray for your son that you have used, that you will refresh him. You will anoint him. You will grant him grace to be able to do even greater. You will use him in a greater dimension in the name of Jesus. As we go this week, let your presence go with us in the name of Jesus. As we cross over to the month, to the new month of November, Lord, I pray everything that is pending in our life that you have promised, they will rush at us like mighty rushing wind in the name of Jesus. When we come back, oh God, next week, we are all coming with testimonies in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Let's share the grace together in fellowship. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Please, there's refreshment outside. Let's go out quickly so that the new church can come in. Refreshment outside for the sent forth. The Lord bless you in Jesus' name.